Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Mark. Welcome to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. Today I want to talk to you about a sobering topic. I want to talk to you about evil. Specifically motivated by the horrific shooting yesterday in Uvalde, Texas. It was heart-wrenching. I don't even know how to begin to wrap my head around the pain that the parents and family members must be feeling. But I want to talk to you about it because I received an email from a member of my church saying, hey, pastor, at Wednesday night's meeting, can we, can we talk about this? Can we talk about evil? Where is God when things like this happen? I just want to share my heart with you. I don't have it scripted, but I just want to talk through some things. Maybe just as much for my benefit as anybody else's. I hope you'll stick with me all the way to the end of it and that maybe we can find some good ground and some concrete ways of looking at it and helping people. First, let me just again remind you that you can always reach out to me. Uh, You can uh, friend me on Facebook. Find me there, Mark Foster. If there are a lot of Mark Fosters, just look for the good-looking one, and that would be me. Then also, um, you can find me on Instagram, at the main pastor, M-A-I-N-E, at the main pastor. And also, you can email me, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. I just said, yeah, email. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Or you can text me, area code 910-265-7297. Well, like many of you, I opened up Facebook partway through the day yesterday and saw the developing headlines, the breaking news of yet another mass shooting event. I don't know about you, but I do get tired of hearing about them. And even more tiresome than hearing about these things happening is the predictable backlash or the predictable fallout on both sides of the political aisle. And everybody lines up, Republican against Democrat, father against son, neighbor against neighbor, Everybody argues in the argument because most of these horrible events are perpetrated with the use of guns. The argument centers around guns, those who are pro-gun, those who are anti-gun. And you know what's going to happen. I sat down a couple of times yesterday to try to type out some words of sympathy. I felt like maybe I should say something, but everybody's saying something. And when everybody's saying something, it seems like nobody's saying anything. Because the the everything that everybody's saying seems like it's coming copied and pasted off of a script, depending upon which side of the political or ideological aisle you land on. And my heart was broken. I have children in that age range and older children, and I'm so grateful that Nothing like that has ever happened in any school my children have been a part of. And I don't know if it's even possible to begin to imagine the depth of grief that moms and dads at that school 
where 14 children, young children, were senselessly slaughtered. I don't even know if it's possible for us to understand the depths of their grief. The darkness and the evil that exists in this world is at times overwhelming. And the fact that this was just an 18-year-old kid. 18-year-olds are still just kids. Have you met any of them lately? And to perpetrate this kind of violence. And of course, the shooter himself, I think the report said, was killed by that uh, Border Patrol agent. It's just a tragedy. It's a tragedy all the way around. And when things like this happen, as they so often do, so many people are shouting at us, so many people are yelling at us what to think and how to think, and it's about guns or not guns. And The left, the politi- political ideologues on the left begin to shout, when is enough going to be enough? When are we going to pass meaningful gun reform? And it's not clear how any laws ever are going to stop lawbreakers, but... It's required and necessary that they say those things, and so they say those things, and then the other side of the aisle begins to shout that no laws are ever going to stop that, uh, this from happening, and if you outlaw guns, only the outlaws will have guns, and, and that's probably true also to some extent, and I cannot imagine how unhelpful all of that is And I know the discussion is necessary, right? I know it is. Even more frustrating sometimes is the knee-jerk, predictable thoughts and prayers. And I'm glad, right? I mean, I'm glad that people are thinking about those parents. I certainly am. I'm glad that people are praying. I texted a friend of mine this morning, and I said, seriously, though, what good are those things? What good are thoughts and prayers? This kind of stuff keeps happening. You ask yourself, could it have been prevented? Then you have Christians who have to struggle with their view of God and sovereignty. And you don't find a lot of those Christians who believe that God is sovereign and ordains everything from before the foundation of the world. You don't hear a whole lot of them talking right now because nobody wants to hear them say that they believe that God ordained the slaughter of 14 little children. But then you also have the people that are silent who who think that, you know, God allows certain things and well why didn't God stop it? There aren't any overtly easy answers to those questions. Now, I have a view of God that I believe to be biblical, but doesn't really line up. It's not a simple foreknowledge view. It's certainly not the divine determinism view or or the uh, extreme uh, sovereignty, the meticulous sovereignty of God. I believe in a view of God that is termed dynamic omniscience, and I won't get into that here. 
but I, I believe God knows the future in all aspects and categories of epistemological knowledge. I believe he knows the certain things as certain, the possible things as possible. I believe he knows all of the possibilities. I believe he knows what is likely and what will happen. I believe all of that. And I believe that God certainly can and does at times intervene in human history to override the free will of creatures to accomplish specific things that he has determined to accomplish, but I also believe that he doesn't do that the majority of the times. Not because he's unable to do that, but because that's not the kind of world that he created. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Because there are going to be those who will stand up and say that what we need is You know, these kinds of things wouldn't happen if we would just go out and knock on more doors and get more people to pray the sinner's prayer. We can't even get the people that we we get to pray a sinner's prayer, we can't even get them to show up to church on Sunday. And you think praying a sinner's prayer is going to change their political ideology. But real evangelism, gospel transformation, I believe is absolutely the answer. I also believe that the Bible indicates that wickedness will continue to grow. That our job in this world is not to redeem all of fallen humanity. There is a spiritual darkness and a spiritual wickedness that exists in this world against whom we are supposed to be fighting. And see, sometimes... We get so focused on the human side, the human aspect of things, that I just cannot, um, I cannot see the, the spiritual darkness. But Paul did tell us, he said, you know, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. We are fighting a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual darkness, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, and all of those spiritual beings that have authority and power limited and to certainly or not unlimited they're not equal with god but nonetheless they have real power they have real authority in this world and they are moving and manipulating and there is a constant spiritual conflict that is going on and it will never cease until jesus christ puts all things under his feet he must reign till he hath put all things under his feet But sometimes we take a step back and we say, well, where is God in this? Why didn't God stop it? And, you know, if God didn't know it was going to happen, then he's not all-knowing. And if God could have stopped it and he didn't, then he's not all-powerful, or, or he doesn't care, or he's unloving. Or if God couldn't stop it, then he's not all-powerful. All these things, just, just stop. Stop. All of that. The Bible is replete with examples of God bemoaning things that happened that he did not want to happen. And if we say that God can do all things that he wants to do, he's, he's all-powerful. If we're going to say that, and yet God says that there are things that happened that he never even thought of, that he never wanted to happen, then I think that we have to recognize the reality 
that for whatever the reason, God has created a world in which he knows that free creatures are going to do things that he does not want to be done, that he could stop, but again, he doesn't. God took the shepherds of Israel to task for doing things to the, to the flock of Israel that he did not want. God took the world leaders, the Babylonian and the Syrian empire, or the Assyrian empires, he took them to task and punished those empires because even though he gave them authority, yet they took that authority and used it to perpetrate acts of uh, barbarousness. Is that a word? Barbarity and cruelty. God uh, chastised the the children of Israel for for their punishment of uh, or their participating in the punishment of Judah. And I don't know if you remember where he said it um, in the Minor Prophets, but he said, "I was just a little bit angry with them, but you have you've taken it to the next level." Mankind has the propensity and the capacity for tremendous evil, but God created mankind to be an imager. We bear the image of God. We are rulers on this earth. He gave it to us. And he gave mankind the mandate to rule. And he instructed the children of Israel to defend the fatherless, to support the weak, to do justice and judgment, not to pervert judgment, not to allow the oppression of the poor. And you see, that's, I think, that's the question that we're all trying to answer, even though some people are on one side of the political spectrum and some people are on the other. You see, there are wicked people in government. There are people in government who are downright wicked. If they're not demonically possessed, they certainly are sold out lock, stock, and barrel to these wicked forces at the highest levels of governments all around the world, and ours is no exception. They are wicked. They are evil. And you listen to them talk, and you could almost hear a snake hissing if you listen carefully. But many people are not in that boat. They're good people who, because of their background, because of their upbringing, because of their experiences, might land on one side of the political spectrum or another. And we're all just trying to solve this problem, and we're all recognizing that, yes, to a certain extent, it is, we need to do something. Why do we need to do something? Well, we need to do something because that's what God created us to do. He expected us. He said, even in the New Testament, have no uh, uh, fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. God expects first and foremost that those in political power will use that power to defend those who are defenseless. And when something like what happened yesterday happens, we recognize that we have failed in some way to defend the defenseless. Now, I'm not going to sit and be lectured about the tragedy of of the death of children by a political party who has just spent the last four weeks uh, bemoaning the fact that they might not be able to kill children as easily anymore. You don't get to lecture me about the value of a fourth grader's life if you want to kill a four-month-old in the womb. Again, some of this is just 
political posturing. It's designed to score political points, and it is sickening, and it is wicked, and it is evil, and it deserves absolute condemnation. But there are also a lot of people that view the problem as being guns because a gun was used in the perpetration, perpetration of, this, of this crime, and they really feel like the gun culture and the violence culture is a part of the problem. Now, I'm a gun owner. I'm not anti-gun, but I'm also not a gun fanatic. I don't worship at the, at the idol of the Second Amendment. And many of my conservative friends and, and, and fellow Christians are, are flirting dangerously close with that line. The truth of the matter is, if I thought for a moment that the elimination of all guns would stop children from being slaughtered in schools, I would be very tempted to turn mine in along with everybody else. Now, you know as well as I do that that's never going to happen. But I wouldn't mind. I also recognize that if it wasn't guns, it would be something because the issue really isn't, and I know, I know people don't want to hear this, but the re- issue isn't really the method used to carry out these horrible attacks. The issue is why are people doing these things? Now, we can argue about the nature of evil. We can argue about what's wrong in our society, but the truth is you and I, the ones, me doing the talking, you doing the listening, we have no power in and of ourselves to make any meaningful change today, tomorrow, or next year. We are not lawmakers. We are not law enforcers, unless you happen to be a law enforcement officer. So what do we do? Well, most of us just say thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. But no, there's more that we can do. We can start by recognizing that God has placed us here on this earth and expects those who are his people to defend and protect the innocent, the poor, the downcast, and the downtrodden. That we should be people who are looking for meaningful ways to confront evil. Maybe that means going to your local school board and asking and or demanding that they provide some kind of protection beyond just locked doors, some kind of protection. If the, if the bad guys are going to come in with guns to kill children, then I would like a trained, qualified individual on the property to defend against that unfortunate and highly unlikely eventuality. That's one thing we can do. We can also give voice to what is wrong in our culture and society where young people are being raised in a situation where violence is the answer to solving our problems. Where if we hate people or we're angry with people, we just we go and just take it out on them in violence. Now, I'm not going to blame video games here. I love video games as much as the next guy, although I don't play them as much as the next guy. I, don't, I haven't played video games in years. I'm not against them. I understand that there are many adults, even guys in my age bracket, who play all the time. It's what you do for fun. I play musical instruments and go fly fishing. So I'm, this is not anti-video game. But I want to tell you a story. When I was a boy, we had the Nintendo Entertainment System. My generation was the one that saw Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt come out. And as new games were created, 
they came out with one called Mike Tyson's Knockout. Do you remember Mike Tyson's Knockout? That was a classic. Loved that game. Loved that game. But I remember my dad taking that game away from me for a while because one day I was so angry that I turned that I went to the Nintendo and I turned it on and my dad was sitting in the living room and I was just I was just hitting this guy over and over and over and I and I told my dad I said sometimes when I get angry I just like playing these games because then I can just hit these people over and over and over and over and over again. And my dad said I think we're going to take a break from video games for a little while. And we're going to talk about how you deal with being angry. You don't have to agree with that. You can say my dad overreacted. But I think that if we want to do something meaningful, we should at least recognize that something is wrong in our society that is producing these kinds of mindsets and to take a stand against it, to support good laws, to support strong consequences for people who break the law, to stand up and say it is wrong to support and encourage violence when something happens that you don't want to happen. Now, I know my good friends on the right stand opposed to things like the riots in Portland and the BLM riots and so on and so forth, but many of them in their own ways support a violent response uh, when when their political party is not in power and when they view uh, you know a, politi- a certain political party as a threat to them, they'll post veiled threats and start quoting from the Declaration of Independence. Sometimes we gain peace through strength. That is true. I'm just saying... And if it sounds like I'm going back and forth and and waffling here and there, it's because I'm just speaking to you from my heart like I intend to do uh, tonight in church. But I'll tell you the truth is it's, it's complicated and it's not easy. But I'll tell you this, it is right for us to stand up against it. And part of the problem that we're facing in our world today is that good people are not recognizing, especially Christian people, that God placed us here to stand against evil and wickedness. And in the Bible, he tells us to do that. He takes Israel to task when they don't do it. He takes world leaders to task when they don't do it. So from every uh, position of power, from world leader on down, we have an obligation to stand up against evil when we see it. And not to be reactionary after the fact, but as much as possible to foresee the evil and take steps to, uh, to, to support positions and laws and responses that would cause evil to shrink away, to be the light in the darkness. And I think that the gospel is a major part of that response. What we saw and what we have seen way too many times over the course of my adult life, these tragic, evil, broken situations are an evidence and a symptom 
of the absence of gospel hope in those people's lives. The gospel transforms lives. That is true. But I will not sit here and say that if we just knocked on more doors or we just preached harder from the pulpits, that that would solve the problem. Our nation is deeply and utterly flawed and broken. And because of the spiritual nature of this conflict, there will always be a conflict until Christ returns. What he expects of us is to be actively engaged in standing up against evil and preaching the gospel to those who are perpetrating it and those who are being affected by it. I just preached to our church this last Sunday about the subject of um, the Philippian jailer. And how that one of the very men in the system causing harm and pain to Paul and Silas was the object of the gospel focus and a transformed life. Not everyone, the whole system wasn't fixed, but one man was set free because the real prisoner in the story of the Philippian jailer, the real person in bondage was not Paul and Silas, it was the jailer. And Paul's mandate was to release the prisoner. But in Luke's narrative, the prison keeper was in fact the one in chains. So at every opportunity, we share the good news of the hope of the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person that we have the chance to do it. And then we never hesitate to take a stand, lovingly but firmly, in our environments to combat the evil that is taking place. And then I would just say lastly in closing that we take the opportunities to sit in brokenheartedness with the families who suffer underneath this darkness and evil. We're not trying to solve why this happened. What the families in Uvalde, Texas need, they do need our prayers, for sure. But we need to weep with those who weep today. It should motivate us, if you want to pray, it should motivate us to pray and look towards the coming of our King, who promises that when he comes, he will rule in righteousness and true justice. Pray for those in political leadership, those who desire to do the right thing. Loved ones, one day Jesus is going to return, and he is going to destroy the powers of darkness. Until then, we are his representatives. We have a job, a task, a mandate. And it's not easy. It's never going to be easy. But I hope 
that we'll take our responsibility as the imagers of God seriously. I don't blame God for what happened in Uvalde, Texas. A horrible act of evil was perpetrated. And more like it, no doubt, will continue to happen until Christ returns. Because we're in a battle. So, let's put on our our boots. Let's stand for what is right. Let's not weary of the conflict. In fact, lives are on the line. But let's not get dragged into partisan politics where we shout at one another when we may, in fact, want the same thing. Let's start having discussions with people. Let's protect who we can protect, defend who we can defend, and ask God for the wisdom as we live each and every day in this war. Well, God bless you, everybody. I hope that you will join me again next week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I wish I could have been more articulate. This is such a hard thing. God bless you this week as you live for him, pastors, as you help your church, as moms and dads, as you talk to your children. Love God, love your neighbor, and I'll see you next week. God bless you.